Hello, this is Ryan, and today we are doing an introductory episode on Mesopotamia. The goal today is more so than just a general introduction, it's a kind of overview of the different peoples, tribes, and factions that you will encounter while reading about ancient Mesopotamia. Um, a few early definitions. What is Mesopotamia? Mesopotamia comes from the Greek, which means uh, the land between the two rivers, those being the Euphrates and the Tigris in modern-day Iraq. Uh, but Mesopotamia encompasses uh, the area from modern-day Israel all the way to uh, the, the borders of Iran, and it kind of encompasses that whole area. Specifically, this is the time period from the dawn of written records about 5,000 years ago to about to the rise of Alexander the Great and the destruction of Persia at 333 BC. And what we're going to do is cover a lot of the names and a lot of the peoples that get mentioned in this history that it's hard for us to comprehend or to get a real good grasp on. And the reason we're doing this is because because so much of this is so ancient and not only that was a lost civilization only you know we only discovered Sumeria and a lot of this information 100 years ago, 150 years ago at best. It's it's kind of hard for the layman to get a grasp on what you know, the Hittites are, or who are the Amorites, kind of create a barrier because on one hand, you go in on a surface level and you don't really get much of a, a characterization. And then on the other end, you're so far into the weeds that it's hard for you to get any sense of what's going on or really to care. The question could be, well, why bother? Why bother knowing any of this? The, the practical reason is because written history goes about about 5,000 years. For half of that history, the city of Babylon, which is a bit north of the modern-day city of Baghdad, was the Paris of its day. Half, like by the time that Caesar was alive, the pyramids of Giza were already 2,000 years old. By the time the ancient Greeks were coming out of a dark age, and starting to write down the Iliad and the Odyssey and Socrates and um, the, you know, all that was going down, you had already had multiple cycles of civilizations that rose and fell and dark ages and empires that, so if you don't know much about Mesopotamia, you're missing out on almost half of recorded history. But, okay, so what? Why should I care about what happened 40 years ago, let alone 40 centuries ago? It's a good question. But why should it matter? It matters because Mesopotamia and ancient history is the closest we're going to get right now to an alien species. To So if you're a fan of science fiction and fantasy or just big big questions of what if then ancient history should fascinate you because these are people that are have our same DNA. You know, if we were, if I took your DNA and I cloned you, 
in the city of Nineveh in 800 BC, you would grow up like these people and vice versa. But there are so many insane differences between us and them, such as ideas as written constitutions, such as ideas of democracy or ideas of feminism or any of these other ideas, which may have existed back then, but we don't know. So it very might well be that they didn't exist at that time. On a bigger issue, it gives us a larger scope of the human condition. It's kind of hard to understand what humanity and life is all about if half of it you don't even know. You can't really say you're a Beatles fan if you don't know the first half of their career. So that is my best answer for why. So now we're going to get into it. And just, this is going to be cut out. Maybe if I have time, I might not be able to cut it out. So if you are listening, just hang in there as I'm getting this file. So I'm going to go in kind of chronological order, but also in order of how much you already know. Because again, okay, well, why? Because... Hold on, I won't even go into why. So the first people we're going to talk about are the Sumerians. These are the first peoples who developed writing and developed uh, large cities and kind of kicked off civilization. The ancient Egyptians were close behind, but it was the Sumerians who really adopted this stuff. And we are pretty sure that they are a distinct ethnic group. Um, they're often labeled with Semites, but we're not sure. And even though we have translated their language, it is unique among all human languages like Basque or some other um, isolated languages that aren't connected to any language group, which is pretty fascinating. They were described, their name means the black-headed ones, which is kind of peculiar. So they probably were a bit darker skinned, had darker skin than um, the neighboring Semites. And these people largely occupied uh, southern Iraq. Um, and around them were the Semites. Uh, these are not necessarily the Semites of uh, Jewish heritage, though there probably is some distant relation. Um, it's more of a language definition. So most, one thing to, early, to start off early is that Sumerians are Mesopotamians, but largely the, the word Mesopotamian, when referring to a person, refers to ethnic Semites. Um, and so the, the issue with the Sumerians, and what's interesting is that they're very similar to the ancient Greeks, in that they are kicked off a period of civilization uh, where they had political, cultural dominance. And they even had a few dynasties that ruled over. And um, But then, as the centuries wore on, they started losing power. And even though there was a resurgence here and there, they largely became politically powerless. And the Sumerians started to drift away from 
political power, but not only. And then as the millennia went on from the face of the earth, as far as we know, um, though they didn't disappear, they probably just intermingled with coming migrations and, you know, of different peoples. Um, however, despite the fact that their political power lessened, um, their culture dominated. Uh, their whole culture, their literature, um, their writing style, cuneiform, uh, dominated the whole region for millennia. Um, the Epic of Gilgamesh is very famous. Uh, we find it all over the Middle East uh, in tons of different languages. It was a sort of like a myth mythological bestseller. Um, and... The arts and cult, and it was similar to how the Greeks waned during the Roman Empire, but it was Greek culture and Greek plays and kind of Greek sensibilities that infected the Romans who, uh, you know, took, took power after them. Um, and then the next really famous group, and I'm not going to spend too much time on them, are the Egyptians. I think everybody listening to me now knows enough that Egyptians are in Africa. Uh, they, they are the gift of the Nile, uh, Exodus. You know, we know, we actually know a lot about uh, Egypt, even in the popular consciousness. Uh, so even if people don't have a solid understanding of Egyptians historically, they do have a sense of them uh, iconography in the sense of iconography and kind of broad strokes of them. Um, and in a way, Egypt functioned during this period a bit like how the English functioned with the continent of Europe. Um, Egypt was very secure in its borders because on three sides were um, barriers to entry. Um, you know, the Sahara Desert is hell of an insurance policy against invasion. And the Egyptians were very rich in agriculture and in gold. Uh, so much so that the rest of the Mesopotamian kings always got upset when the Egyptian pharaoh would give more gold the, to one king than to another. Um, the Egyptians never allowed... Um, um, their princesses to be married outside of Egypt, uh, which makes Solomon from the Bible very interesting because he is recorded as having an Egyptian wife. So uh, maybe Egypt had declined. It definitely had declined during that period of time. Um, and also the Egyptians are similar to the United Kingdom in that they do have military expeditions and conquests in the wider world but they're kind of limited. The Egyptians really viewed the Nile as their sacred home. So no one really wants to be buried, die and buried outside of their sacred home. So it made it very hard to like send colonists or send officials to run conquered territories for a long time. The Egyptians were very static and their technology and their military uh, uh, technology lagged behind the rest of Mesopotamia, but it really didn't need to. Um, and 
like the United Kingdom, Egypt was the economic powerhouse of um, of the ancient world. And this would go on all the way to Caesar and Augustus and the Romans using um, Egypt as kind of the piggy bank of the Roman Empire. And going so going back to to, to our Sumerian friends, uh, we next move on to the Akkadians. These are from the people of uh, around the people of uh, Akkad. Uh, they are Semites, and the, they are similar in a way to how the Macedonians worked in history. They are fearsome warriors and empire builders, um, compared to the Sumerians, who, like the ancient Greeks, always squabbled, always had their city-states. Um, but they are seen as culturally unsophisticated by in comparison. Um, we don't really have a lot of Akkadian literature. It's always Sumerian literature that the Akkadians take on. Um, but Akkadian does become the lingua franca of the Near East. Um, and the Akkadians set up the first empire in the world with Sargon of Akkad. Um, and then like the Macedonians, they do eventually fade. Um, they fade away through bad leadership and uh, barbarian invasions, uh, which leads us to the Amorites. The Amorites are the ones who are mostly responsible for the destruction of the Akkadian Empire, um, which lasted around 200 years. And the Amorites come from the area of modern-day Jordan, and they're a bit like the Germanic barbarians during the fall of Rome. Uh, they destroyed an empire, um, and they instilled their own warrior, and they instilled their warlords onto the dynasties of the Sumerians. Um, so cities like Babylon, Uruk, um, Mari, they all took on Amorite uh, royalties even though the populations were largely um, Sumerian still, Sumerian and Semite. Um, and for a long time, the Amorites were viewed... Oh, hold on. I'm getting ahead of myself. So building off that idea that they're like the Germanic barbarians in the fall of Rome... They kind of acted like the Vandals when they conquered Spain. The Vandals were Germans, um, but they conquered Spain and set themselves up as um, the aristocracy over a Spanish, Latin-speaking population. Uh, for instance, Isabella de Castile, a very famous queen of, of Spain, had red hair and green eyes. Um, it was not uncommon for... You know, not unthinkable for Spaniards, but it's kind of interesting. Um, and for example, the famous Hammurabi of Babylon was himself an Amorite. Uh, he's one of the most famous Mesopotamian leaders of you know Babylon. He was an Amorite. He was not a native Sumerian, like the German. And then what develops next are uh, the Hittites enter the scene. The Hittites come from uh, the region of modern-day Turkey, and they are 
the most like the Russians of modern history. Um, they are on the margin of the geopolitical map uh, because everything is centered around the fertile crescent that goes from modern day Israel to the Persian Gulf. Interestingly enough, they are very multicultural and diverse. They're very rich in resources like Russians. And when united, are really good soldiers and can bring huge armies to the field. Supposedly 30,000 soldiers at the height of their empire. Uh, the Hittites, unlike Egypt, was much more of a medieval feudal system than a top-down administration. Egypt was really the first centralized government of any big scale. You know, the rest were city-states that would, with Hammurabi, they would kind of become like the blob and blob up, they would kind of collapse whenever Hammurabi died. And so the Hittites kind of had this confederacy going on where you had the high king, but then he allowed other dynasties and other kings and princes to kind of rule beneath him and owe him subservience. He was never seen as the first among equals as some English kings were later to be seen as, or, you know, the Hittites did not try to unify their empire either politically or culturally. So as long as the trains ran, ran on time and they had enough money and soldiers, everything was fine. They didn't try to um, make all the little kids in Hittite land read Hittite. You know, they didn't try to do any of that. Interestingly enough, the Hittites may have had a more open uh, relationship to female autonomy since the queen had a lot more power than would be expected. Uh, for example, Queen uh, Pudahepa personally corresponded with Pharaoh Ramses II about his marriage to her daughter. Maybe this is an anomaly, but it's a very interesting kind of idea. And so, like the Russians, the Hittites rise and fall in power, but they are a juggernaut when they get their act together. together and they... Um, but it's kind of difficult to say. Even the analogy to Russia is kind of difficult because it's we don't really know a lot about the Hittites even to this day. People that we do uh, know more about are Babylonian is kind of a weird term. It's kind of a it basically starts when the city of Babylon, which started out as kind of a small town, became the cultural dynamic center of the rest of the region. It, it really did become the Paris of the Middle East during almost half, like for half. And the Babylonians, like Paris, um, they can be kind of compared a bit to the French. I mean, not entirely. The Babylonians were no slouch when it came to military matters, but they were often conquered. They were often um, not seen as the real threat towards the... Um, the rest of the world and they had much more power when it came to their culture their money and their you know literary influence and they would you know and we'll, we'll get back to the babylonians a bit later but the next group that rise up are the assyrians these people can be best it's kind of difficult to understand they're, they're in northern iraq they're kind of in the area of Syria and northern Iraq. And their name does not come from Syria. It comes from Asher or Asur. Uh, yeah, it does not, even though they kind of overlap. And there are still Syrians today. 
they just don't get a lot of good press because most of the press for the Assyrians comes from the Bible. Um, so they don't really get a lot of good, um, but they can basically be understood as the stereotypical German Hun of the 20th century, you know, with that iconic helmet, the kind of the, the unrelenting German Prussian, you know, marching and discipline and militarism and this kind of latent cruelty that the Germans were kind of portrayed as always having. They're kind of best to be understood like that. It's not a complete picture, but the whole region of this area was very militaristic. There was no peaceniks out of this whole group. Um, but the Assyrians were weird because they were always acknowledged as the super military guys. Like they are the guys who they're the guys that the other athletes look at and say, wow, he's a real go-getter. He's a real athlete. Um, they started marking their years, um, by military campaigns, not by building projects like in Babylon, um, which is kind of a big indicator. The Assyrians started out, interestingly enough, as traders. They had these very um, lucrative donkey caravans that went to um, to Anatolia, and then they would go to Iran, and uh, they led, you know, kind of like that. Um, because Assyria, the region, is very is in the middle of trade routes, and also it doesn't have borders, which. A theory goes is that if your country doesn't have borders, you're naturally going to develop a strong military sense because you have to defend yourself by fighting, not just by placing a few forts in between the mountains like Switzerland. You know, Switzerland doesn't really need a big military because it has such good borders. Um, and the Assyrians, like the Germans, always had a chip on their shoulder about Babylon they would sack Babylon, they would smack Babylon around, <laughs> they would conquer it, do all this sort of stuff. But they always treated it with kid gloves. They never really went all out in their destruction of Babylon. And there there always does seem to be a bit of a inferiority complex that they are not as um, culturally sophisticated as the Babylonians. And in a weird way, this also tracks well with the Aztecs who were also started out as traders who excelled in commerce, became militaristic warriors, and also themselves had an inferior comp inferiority complex to the native peoples of the region, and especially to the Maya civilization uh, nearby, uh, so much so that they had to like rewrite their history to pretend that they were not newcomers. Um, so the Assyrians, in one way, you can view them as like the Nazis of the region. I mean, everyone hated the Assyrians because the Assyrians were just so brutal. And what they would do is that they would crush a region, utterly devastate it, and then ship the population to other parts of the empire. So they would depopulate and repopulate other, you know, this was a great way of sociological control. 
Um, it was kind of brilliant in a way, but it was no one, <laughs> no one shed many tears when the when the Assyrian Empire collapsed. And um, but on the other hand, if you were living in the big cities of Assyria, you might think that it's a great time. And the Assyrians had the biggest library, but the ancient Near East at the time, they had a huge library. So much of what we know comes from the library at Nineveh. And the, the king, Ashurbanipal, um, was, he gloated about how he could read. So, and you can also view it as the Assyrians with their impressive um, military were the only ones who were able to fight off the barbarians that came in from the north and who could have rebooted civilization. So you can kind of almost view them as kind of a bit of like Captain America, you know, taking that directly from Dan Carlin. But they're, they're a very interesting group of people. Let me just put it that way. And so I only have a few more people left uh, to discuss. And thank you for sticking with me. Um, I hope, hope this is being interesting to you. The next group of people are the Hurrians. Now, the Hurrians, um, they are an uh, invading barbarian tribe that is still kind of clouded in mystery. They settled right in the area of modern-day Syria, um, actually in between the, the Hittites. Hi, um, this is where the audio cut out for me, so I'm recording this. So the, a big chunk of this episode got cut out. I don't know why, but that's what this 